and welcome to Theoretically Theatrical. In this series, we peek behind the curtain and explore the world of performance. Today, we're speaking to Disney's legendary Imagineer, Terry Hardin. Thank you very much for coming to speak to me today. You are very welcome. I'm very excited about this today. <laughs> me too. This is, this is going to be a fun one. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, first and foremost, uh, my name is Terry Harden, and a lot of people get confused because Terry Harden versus Terry Harden Jackson. Terry Harden is my, is my uh, artist name, and then Jackson is my married name. I'm a Disney Imagineer, and I've been one since 1987. And when I was in-house, I'm no longer in-house, but I won't get too technical about that. But as an Imagineer in the early years, 1987 to 97, I was designing attractions directly with the company. So I did... Uh, though many of you probably know about Disneyland Paris, which at the time it opened was called Euro Disneyland. But in Disneyland Paris, I did the dragon, which is underneath the castle in Paris, which makes Paris the best castle of all the Disney castles because it's the only castle that has a dragon. And I love dragons. So when I was with Imagineering, the first thing they asked me to do when I got there was to work on Big Thunder Railroad which is the best Big Thunder Railroad because you go, you board it on an island, you go underneath and you come up on an island. So you board it one way, go under the water and pop up on an island. Mm -hmm. So I think it's the best railroad. So I got very lucky as a young artist to have been brought in to do two of the best projects that Disneyland has to offer nowadays. And I'm, I'm quite I'm quite uh, proud of that. Since then, I've done Disneyland Tokyo and uh, or Tokyo Disneyland, uh, Walt Disney World. I've done work on there. And so you can see my work all over the world. And it's going to be there long after I turn to dust, which is a really interesting thing for an artist. They can say, wow, you know, you kind of dream of that, I think. You know, uh, I've also been in Ghostbusters, Men in Black, about 43 different films and television Things I've worked with uh, Michael Jackson on Captain EO, Liz Taylor on the Flintstones, John Goodman on the Flintstones, Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd on the original Ghostbusters. The best thing I'd say for anyone who really wants the whole list is to just Google Terry Harden and it all pops up and then you can find it. <laughs> it's wonderful when your resume is so big. You're just like, ah, oh, Google me. I I can't, we haven't got time. <laughs> it sounds a little narcissistic to me. It's just like, oh my goodness, I'm so wonderful. And you just go, oh, barf, you know? <laughs> But honestly, you, when people know you and your accomplishments, right now you're being incredibly modest. You have created some of the most, in like the, the most uh, childhood memory forming things of of a generation. Um, for for like so, um, the the dragon under the Paris Castle was one of the most formative experiences for me. Uh, as a young person and I couldn't believe it when uh, we had our first chat and you and you mentioned that that was one of the big things you've done and my brain was just like okay that's fate that's just fate <laughs> <laughs> people now in Paris and, and in Europe call me the mother of dragons oh yes. so they go, you're the mother of dragons like for real you're the mother of dragons and I said oh that's really sweet of you to say that but it comes from being a little kid and dreaming about wanting to, I mean, I always drew dragons. I always believed in dragons. I liked unicorns too. I liked anything that sort of had 
wings and could fly and, and was uh, mythological. And I really appreciate you saying that this is something, and you're right. It's something that people, people love from childhood ghostbusters. I see kids who weren't even born anywhere near the original ghostbusters (laughs) inception. And they're just dressed as the characters. They get so excited. Mm -hmm. It's it's very touching and it's very heartwarming. But I suppose we should we should start uh, from the beginning. Uh, so, how did creativity help you as a as a young person? Well, I guess the first full disclosure thing I have to tell you because I happen to be one of these odd people that I celebrate every year that I'm on Earth. So I'm 64 years old and I feel that each year I get better and better Mm. as opposed to people who say, I'm old, it sucks, you know, don't get old. And I'm like, I think it's really cool. I think it's really cool to be my age. But the point I want to make here is that I was born in 1957 and I am of since you can't see me, I'm of mixed races. I'm half black and half white. Now, what that could conjure up in your mind is a little black person, a little person of color, but I am white as the driven snow. And this is where my challenges happened as a young girl, because I had my dad's Afro, but it was strikingly blonde. So I had 15 inches of hair that refused to grow straight down And it was blonde and I'm this little white kid running around and people didn't like it. I looked like something unusual and different. So bullies would come after me because when you look different, that's what bullies can do. Mm -hmm. And if we're honest, bullies will do it. Even if you don't look different, I feel a bully is a bully because they got something going on in their own life and they just want to take it out on someone else. Mm -hmm. So my dad, who's the black, my dad's black, my mother's white. My dad said, you just look at people with tolerance and kindness and be the best person you can be. Mm. And to understand that if people say mean things to you, poison isn't effective unless you choose to take it. Now, sometimes you can't always be that that righteous. A bully is going to try and beat you up and mess you up. And Mm. I had my hair set on fire in the eighth grade. Luckily, I had friends with very fast hands, you know. (laughs) Uh-huh. But my dad just said, hang in there, kid. You know, you're different. You're you're special. Just know that you're a rose and you're a leader and the leader's path is challenging. Mm. So uh, my mother was a watercolor artist. And so I watched my mother. And so I just sketched. About three years old, I started drawing. Mm. And my mother found it kept me out of trouble. I'm a June baby. If I see it, I love to do it. And I was curious, overly curious. So if you had a light socket and a fork was nearby, I was destined to stick it in there and cause problems. (laughs) My 19-year-old white mother, first she has to deal with my hair. She has no idea how she's going to do that. And then she's got this kid that if she doesn't watch the whole time, the kid is getting in trouble. You know, Uh she's getting into something that's dangerous. So she finally introduced me. Yeah, three years old, she introduced me to paper. And she saw that I would sit still for hours and draw. So my parents invested in paper. (laughs) 
So creativity was a way for me to express myself and to keep me safe. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I learned when I was young was that uh, I wanted anything I saw, I wanted to do. So I painted Easter eggs as eight, at eight years old. And my mother was so shocked. She took them to work and she, uh, and people wanted to buy them and, and, and they gave her $20 bills and I earned like $200 at eight years old and painting Easter eggs. So my mother was like, I always worry about how to make an artist making an income. And here you are at eight years old making an income. So, so you can do, you know, you can do it. You just have to have the encouragement and the belief. And I'm here to encourage everyone out there. Don't listen to the people. Don't let someone else set your life, mm-hmm. set your life. As long as you're, you're, you're not hurting others, you're a creative person. Why shouldn't it be you? You know, why does a person have to say to you, that's a one in the million chance. Why should you be the one to do it? You just have to say, because I'm destined to be that, that person and I'm going to keep doing it. Will the road be easy? No, God has a sense of humor. You're going to get kicked to the curb a million times, but that's to prove you're worthy. So just get yourself up and dust yourself off. You hear it before a million times, but here I am a kid who everyone hated for things I couldn't change. My hair stuck out in all directions and my skin was white. What was I going to do? So stop hiding Mm -hmm. and just know that God made you this way for a reason. Try to find out what that reason is and go for it. Mm -hmm. Oh, I a hundred percent agree with you on that. And I'm so glad that creativity was there for you. And so many people who feel lonely or feel like, feel like they are struggling to, communicate or identify with their peers uh, and it can be this fantastic way of expressing yourself of realizing yourself as a as a little person and you start to think as a person you start to as you as you get a little older this wasn't all happening at like eight years old but I realized if there was one person having a problem there must be many so I was introduced to Sherry Lewis at about six years old. And I saw that Sherry Lewis, who was amazing ventriloquist, mm-hmm. she has these characters, Hush Puppy and Lamb Chop, and she would have conversations with them. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, hey, I think I'm going to make a buddy. I'm going to build a buddy that I can have conversations with. And I'm going to watch her. I don't know if I want to be a ventriloquist, but that doesn't matter. I'm going to talk to my buddy and my buddy's going to talk back. Yeah. And uh, I felt, you know, puppetry is a great way to talk to yourself and that and not be thought to be insane. Of course, nowadays you just put a an AirPod in your head and everybody thinks you're fine anyway. So <laughs> so but at the time, <laughs> at the time, people thought you were insane if you were talking to yourself unless you were a puppeteer. So um, mm-hmm. that worked out well. Oh, fantastic. So that's actually a wonderful segue into uh, how did you get into puppetry? You've sort sort of raised that subject, but there we go. Well, as a young girl, I realized if I built a puppet, that a puppet gave me the freedom to say things that were on my mind that were a way to beat the bullies. Mm. And the bullies would look at the puppet and get a giggle out of the puppet and it would soften them. Even if the puppet was telling them they were a jerk. I built this dog when I was in later in life. And mm. when the bullies would come by, the dog would say, this is the way you treat people. Cause you know, people have a brain. They don't treat people like that. They treat them nicely. 
So, you you know, let me get this straight. You don't like her because of her hair sticks up in the air or she's white. Which is it? Which is it? Because personally, I think you are a paw example of a human being. And it's my dog. It's yeah. my puppet dog. Mm-hmm. So, but they never, the thing about puppets is people don't connect necessarily that the puppet sitting right next to you is how you're performing. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're a ventriloquist, they seem to be able to detach. They feel, or a pup, many people feel, if you're a ventriloquist, they detach better. It's not true. Because all you have to do as a puppeteer mm. is to make sure the puppet's more interesting than you are. You uh-huh. just make sure. Yeah. And that's what I learned from Waylon Flowers and Madam. He was a very famous puppeteer puppeteer who had this really crazy character named Madam. And I noticed he moved his mouth. And I asked him, I had the opportunity to meet him. And I asked him, I said, your mouth is moving. And he said, how nice of you to notice. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, doesn't that bother you? Do you feel any need to be a ventriloquist? He said, were you watching my mouth or were you watching Madam? And I said, I was watching Madam. And he said, and did you try to watch my mouth? And I said, a couple times. He said, how successful were you? I said, I wasn't. And that's when I realized I didn't have to waste my time trying to be a ventriloquist. I could put all my energy into my arm and create the personality of my characters through my arm. And my puppets were, my puppets were born. It also made bullies so fascinated by the confidence it gives you. So what if you're out there and you're a shy person and you're just terrified of talking to people? You can start with the puppet. Sometimes people will find it exciting. Sometimes people won't. In the beginning, they may judge you. But if you keep going, and my puppets are, are, are just crazy. I just, I've always been a performer. But if you haven't been a performer, don't let those first few, t- few minutes of stage fright where your voice might be a little bit quiet or whatever, make you scared because this is what really did it for me. So I would start in the beginning and people might laugh or tease or joke, but my puppet or my, and my puppet would challenge you, you know, were you raised by wolves? (laughs) Cause you had a wait a minute. I shouldn't say that because wolves have much better personalities than you do right now. So what is the matter with you? And they would just be in, they'd go, oh, that puppet's so funny. You know. (laughs) Puppetry really led you to some really fascinating places in your career. So um, you you mentioned you've you've done work with uh, with Jim Henson as well. Mm -hmm. So I am a Jim Henson Muppeteer. So I realize now that I love to act. Mm. But back in the 50s and 60s, Casting directors and casting, casting directors and production and directors didn't want anything to do with me because they said it looked like my parents did something, meaning that I didn't look black or I didn't look white. I looked mixed and they did not like that look. The thing about acting in the entertainment industry industry is they can say things to you that are very offensive and they get away with it. And the reason is because it's the entertainment industry. You're not black enough. You're not white enough. You're too mixed, blah, 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 which is really infuriating. Nowadays, it's getting a little better, but we still have this challenge. So back when I was a little kid, they turned to my mom and they said, we'll take 
her sister will take your youngest daughter because she looks black, but your oldest daughter, no, I don't want anything to do with that kid. Very precocious, a lot of fun, but no, she, no, no. So I realized that a puppet was a way for me to perform and do all the acting that I loved, create them as an artist. But then people didn't care what I looked like because they weren't looking at me. They were looking at my character. So here I have this career and it just takes off. I'm discovered by a lady named Jeannie who has a, uh, a birthday party for, for uh, high-end people, celebrities. I did White Duck, Yellow Duck ch- with Mel Brooks and, and entertained a lot of famous children. And then I moved on to meet Betsy Brown and performed in huge theaters across the country. And then I meet Jim Henson. And Jim Henson takes one look at me in 1982 and says, oh, my God, who is this woman? Not because I'm talented, but because I'm a woman. And at that time, there were three female puppeteers for every 30 males. So anytime a lead like Jim, you know, saw a woman, he got excited because men don't do women's voices as well as women do. Thank goodness. (laughs) <laughs> so he knew that as a woman, I could do, um, I could do the voices. I could do the performing. So the next thing, you know, um, he challenges me to come and audition for him. Mm-hmm. And uh, I do. And uh, he just thinks I'm the cat's pajamas. And then I'm with which, him. Which for you about, are. <laughs> thank you. For, then, then I'm with him for like one show and he passes away and it's devastating. It's, I don't know if anybody knows about me. I don't know if, if I have any further career with a company that I really love, but more, most of all, it breaks my heart that he's no longer around. And uh, it was great to have the opportunity to work with him. He was, he is, and was an amazing man. And as a puppeteer, you're weird. You're odd. You're inside seats, not sitting on them. You're under floors in the dirt and muck, which is why a lot of women didn't do it because they wanted to wear makeup and I'm not a makeup wearer. So I was perfect for it. I was also someone who was a bit of a stinker and he loved that in his puppeteers. Many of the Muppet people, when he was giving an interview, we would hide behind the interviewer and try to make him break his face. (laughs) And then finally he would and Frank Oz was always the one that's like, okay, come on, come on. Let's see if we can get Jim to break character, you know? And then Jim would get angry and go, okay, you guys, he would stop the interview and he'd go, give me a minute. Will you guys get out of there? You know, That's another thing I love about creative people. They play with each other. They never stop. Yeah. We do. And, and, and for all of you out there, you know, everyone has to work for a living, but a wise man plays for a living. That's what my grandfather told me. Mm-hmm. I took it to heart and I said, okay, so I'm never going to take a job ever where I don't play for a living. Uh-huh, and uh-huh. if it turns out that I can't play for a living, then I'm going to quit that job and I'm going to move to the next one. Now, some are going to say, wow, it's nice to have that freedom, but I did it as a young person. As a young person, all my friends were getting jobs at like a McDonald's or something. Mm -hmm. I hate food service. So I said, I don't want to do food service. I got to find something else that I want to do. And I just started looking for other jobs I could do. Because as you're a young person, you're living with your parents. So you don't really have to, in most cases, I'm not saying all, but in my case, my, I was just learning, you know, earning a little extra money and learning 
how to be uh, a good worker in a workspace. Mm -hmm. So I had the freedom to pick whatever I wanted. And that's what I did. You work in so many mediums. You you work in illustration and sculpting and puppetry and in mass scale things to tiny scale things. So what is it like working in so many mediums and do they inform each other? Well, they do. So at an early age, I started to sew and make my own puppets and said, well, if I can sew and make puppets, I could sew outfits for my friends and myself. So I expanded that. I made my own patterns. I made my own puppet patterns at a very young age. And the next thing I know, I'm costuming people. From there, makeup was good because if you did makeup, then people didn't, your look was hidden behind the makeups that you created. So for Star Wars, I built a seven foot Wookiee. Who's going to imagine that Terry Harden 5'9 is within a seven foot Wookiee? Everybody's just going to fall in love with the Wookiee. So I did that. And, and those were the kind of things. And I, I think I just found that art allowed me to masquerade as these different characters and then be myself when I was outside. Not that I didn't like being myself, but the idea was to get in front of people and act and perform. So I could act and be the Wookiee. Then I could don another outfit like Catwoman Mm -hmm. and work the whip and be Catwoman. And all of these skills, hand in glove, one to the other, one to the other, one to the other. So drawing, sculpting, uh, I'm just learning painting now. I would paint objects pretty well, but I'm mainly a sculptor. And then performing, and people would see the confidence in my performance and say, I just don't know how I can use this girl, but I really want to. And that's really nice. I came back to Ghostbusters and they asked me, Do you think if we put a woman in the monster dog that Sigourney Weaver turns into, if it will have feminine attributes? Well, for those of you out there, you know what the answer is going to be, whether you know what the answer is going to be. It's always yes. you know. <laughs> and then they put me in it and I performed it and they gave me the job. So I became this dog in the refrigerator and this dog in the doorway and helped the team dog on the bed. And then I had a friend who was also a sculptor. He came up with the concept for the marshmallow man. So he called me and he said, Terry, come help me build the marshmallow man. So I puppeteered the face with about three or four other people while he was inside walking as the marshmallow man. So you kind of collaborate with other misfits And I was very proud to be a misfit. I could make anything from anything. And you start to draw people towards you that can do that, even if they're not confident enough. I was there and saying, of course you can do this. No sweat. Let me show you a couple of steps and then you're going to be amazing. Imagineering saw me and said, this girl's a Swiss army knife. And in the world today, they're looking for a bargain. Everyone loves a Swiss army knife. Everybody misquotes the phrase, um, uh, a jack of all trades, a master of none, because there's another bit to that where I'm not going to get the rhyme right, but it's um, but better that than a master of one, because that's all you can that's all you can do. Oh, I love that. That's fascinating. You were talking about working with other puppeteers, working with... uh, how do, how do you find collaboration? The key to being an Imagineer is collaboration. And I think, I can't answer for all artists, but I think artists have a lot more fun 
when they have a gathering with other people that is taken to that next level. So if you're someone who sculpts and you meet someone who does molds and their molds are just magical, or you meet someone who can work in other materials and you go, okay, now I'd like to make this dragon, but wouldn't it be fun if I could make this dragon fly? And you meet someone mechanical and they go, it'd be great. I can make the understructure to make the dragon fly, but how do I make the dragon look beautiful on the outside? And the two of you come together and fireworks happen and rainbows <laughs> occur. And, and, you know, the earth shakes a little bit because there's several people who have gotten together that say, all right, you sit around and you make a plan. And then when it's done, it's this incredible piece that moves or animates or whatever So to collaborate with other artists is a lot of fun. The challenge is if you get stuck with someone who seems to want to micromanage you and stifle you. And we've all been there. You think about a job that's your dream job, and then you got someone over you saying, are you sure that's going to work? Are you sure? And you're like, will you wait? You need to go have a coffee. Or you need to go (laughs) take a nap or something, all right? But you don't know if you're in the business. I was the best sculptor for merchandising of SpongeBob SquarePants for Nickelodeon years ago. Forgive me, but I wasn't a fan of the character. But I was less a fan of the people who had me work on the character because they were so worried about where the sponge dots went. And I remember thinking, I'm sculpting something that is that is seven eighths inches by seven eighths inches by a quarter inch. I don't know what that is in centimeters, but let me just say it's tiny. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to worry about where these stupid things go. Mm-hmm. And I was like, look, does it look like SpongeBob? Then let it go. It's in a lava lamp. Leave it alone. <laughs> and they would just go, no, it has to be two point blah, blah over. And you just thought, oh, well, let me tell you something. Once you make the decision, you get to the point where you say, I'm going to go and I'm going to do this myself. And I've got enough clients. I called Nickelodeon and I said, you're fired. And it feels so great to fire them. I just want you to know, you need to lighten up because it's not a comfortable environment here. And it's all because of you. And I'm not saying it to be mean. I'm saying it because I want you to be able to change. I know you can. You're human. If your day one, the day you're in, is garbage, you can draw a line in the sand and make it better tomorrow. You may not know how. Here's how. Do something nice for someone else. You've mentioned it uh, a few times now, but I have to ask you about, can you tell us a little bit more about the creation of the Dragon's Lair? Because as I mentioned before, it's my absolute favorite Disney attraction. Okay, I'm happy to do that. Because (laughs) not only was I born a mixed child, so now I've got the Black people who don't like me because I look too white. So they think I'm kind of like the... Uh, coyote who dresses up as a sheep to go get a sheep and the dog catches them in the uh, Warner Brothers slash act, you know, Warner Brother cartoons, or it's white people who think there might be a black person under, you know, back in that day. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just weird behavior, but I'm also a woman. And when <laughs> well, tell them everything else. <laughs> it's the trifecta. Hey, you're a woman. You're in the old boy network. You'd like to say, no, you're not in the old boy network, but you are. The men are getting paid more. Okay, so I'm at Disney and Disney doesn't necessarily say in Imagineering that there's this policy, but they they kind of think of women as 
and I don't know if it's so much now, but the women draw, the women do costuming, the women do decoration, figure finishing, et cetera, et cetera. There are many women who sculpt, but there's very few wearing a construction hat and slinging mud. I said, I'm going to do dragon's lair. And they go, Terry, that's not an attraction. And I was like, what, what are you talking about? And they said, it's going to be a stone dragon. People are just going to walk by. It's just going to be carved out of stone. I said, I said, excuse me, what? Are you out of your mind? Are you crazy? This is Disney. Disney doesn't do stone dragons that don't. What are you talking about? This is insane. And my, my supervisor said, you're preaching. I have no control here. I have no power here. Well, who the heck has the power? Say I. And they said, well, I guess it would be the senior vice president. His name is Tony Baxter. I said, get this fool down here. And he goes, you don't, first of all, call the senior vice president of Disney Imagineering a fool. And you don't say, get him down here, Terry. I said, well, I'll go see him then. Where is he? And, and you don't go see him. <laughs> it's like saying, get this fool Walt down here. Which, incidentally, if Walt was alive, I would have said. I have to be honest. I'm not going to lie to you. You know, where is Walt? Where's his office? I'm going to see this fool. Um, but, but they were like, they were like, don't do that. So my supervisor said, look, if I get him down here, can you keep your presentation to 20 minutes? And I said, yes. Okay. I do talk a lot. You can tell that. I love to tell stories. So Tony Baxter comes and he has an entourage, lots of people making sure he has water, pad, paper, chair. I'm dressed in a, in a, like a lab coat, but I've illustrated dragons all over it because like I said, I'm all about dragons. And so I'm standing looking like an Olympic champion at the starter block to do the hundred yard dash. I am in that position looking at him and <laughs> saying to him, are you Tony Baxter? And he says, uh, yeah. And you're Terry Harden. And I said, yes. And I said, say go. And he looked at me and he was like, what are you talking about? He didn't say anything. Say go. He says, go. So then I go into it. This is the dragon. We're not, we're not Magic Mountain. We're not Universal. We're Disney. And Disney has animated dragons. So I have animated this dragon. I have created an entire show based on the dragon. It has an ocean here. The head goes like here. I have the feet here. The tail goes like this. He says, stop. Will you stop? Will you take a breath? Now I pull my wrist out. I tap my watch and I go, dude. You're cramping my time. I don't have a lot of time here. What is it? It's the senior vice president. What is it, buddy? You know? (laughs) Thank God he doesn't fire me. He has Uh this smile and he says, okay, Miss Harden. Okay. If I give you more time, will you explain to me the attraction? And I did. And after he was done, he said, okay, I got one condition. I said, what is it? He says, you're going to design it. I had never designed a ride before. I'd never designed an attraction before. I'd never done anything like this, this big before without supervision. And I said, it would be my pleasure. And that's what you do. When the door of opportunity opens, you jump through it and worry about how later. Just get through it. Because you're going to do it. You're going to do it. There's people you can collaborate with, you know, and you say to yourself, if I was going to do this myself, because I think you you overthink it, you get real scared and you say, oh, my gosh, what if I don't perform this or I don't perform that? But if it was yours, you were the owner of the company, if it was your dragon in your park, which is what I said, how would it look? And I had no problem after that. 
I got with people and said, I want the animation to look this way because I don't animate, but I was the show producer. I was the one creating the whole show. So I made sure every detail was right. Now, full disclosure, Disneyland Paris has decided to put human bones next to my dragon, which I guess makes her scarier. I think that's silly, but whatever. You know, once you give your attraction to a park, the park makes their own changes, which is why it's important to go see things early. I'm really happy because the dragon has really, uh, it has really lived through the test of time. Mm -hmm. She is still scary. She's still animated beautifully. I was told she was a she by fans. And then uh, someone asked me if it was the Maleficent. And I said, it's not the Maleficent. It is a dragon who has an agreement with Merlin who owns the shop above. And because they're both magical creatures, Merlin told the dragon, this is a great place for her to rest Mm -hmm. when she, you know, you don't need to burn villages down all the time. This will be a safe spot and our spells will protect each other. So that's kind of the story backstory with her, but um, it was a joy to create. I made her, I, I have a dog. I love animals. So I have a dog that dreams of chasing squirrels. All of you out there that have dogs, you know how the dog has go, Oh, Oh, in their sleep you think they're chasing squirrels so the dragon kind of does that her paw shimmers and she and the smoke comes out of her mouth because she's dreaming Uh the uh tail works like a cat which is just swishing gently and that shows she's calm because we know that a cat's tail is very telling about the cat's feeling Mm -hmm. if you're a cat person and the cat is angry that tail is going a mile a minute And if the cat is calm, it's either stationary and the little tip just moves or the whole thing swishes back and forth. Mm -hmm. So it was my odd preservation of animals that helped. And then you, one thing you may or may not notice is when you're standing uh, where you're standing to see her and she does wake up Mm -hmm. when she wakes up, her head is actually resting a little lower then you are standing. And the reason is because I want you to look down on her in the beginning, but when she raises her head, you, you have to, your body, your whole body has to arc back to see her. And that's what makes her so terrifying is because I've worked in the show being a performer, worked in the show, how to create an emotional experience with her. Mm. I don't want her just to be something that they go, Oh, nice mechanics. I want you to believe that she's a living, breathing creature because in Mm. my mind and in my heart, that's what I built. That's what I designed. A hundred percent. I remember feeling so many emotions looking at this dragon and I thought she was real. I genuinely thought that's a real dragon. I felt really, really sorry for the dragon because it had a, um, at least when I went to see it, it had a collar on its neck. A collar still has the collar. And she, and I, so I was feeling really sad. And I said to my dad, that's really sad that that, uh, th- I am so upset that that's, that poor dragon is chained like that. And then uh, probably not quite as eloquently. I <laughs> oh, sure. Sure. Yes, as a oh, kid, you're going, why is she chained up? And then, <laughs> and then I noticed like when she lifted her head, the chain wasn't attached to anything. And I was like, okay, that's really cool, but we should leave. Cause she might eat us. I respect her freedom, <laughs> but we got to go. <laughs> you bring up a really good point. That was the one bone of contention I had with Disney is I didn't want her to have the collar. I felt she was there under an agreement between her magical beings. And they said, no, 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 we have to have the collar and she's got to be chained up. She was originally chained up, Mm. but 
I think what happened is they probably had a lot of little kids like you going to cast members and going, do you really think it's good to chain that dragon up? Do you really think that's humane? Because kids are like that, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> I don't chain my dog up at home. Why would you do that to a dragon? I went to uh, Paris to run a uh, race and uh, I met a little girl in front of Big Thunder. Her name is Bella. She's a lovely young lady. She was seven at the time. Oh. And she was one of those people who said dragon. And I said, well, why don't we go and take a look at her together? So I took her and, and introduced her and told her. And, and her mother was like, oh, my gosh, this is the most exciting thing ever is not only do we get to see the dragon, but we're with the Imagineer who actually created her uh-huh. and uh and now bella goes to visit her dra- her dragon that's the way she states it goes to yes, visit yes. her dragon every so often and uh and we have a great relationship now we're friends people say what's the best thing you've ever done i said that dragon and thank you <laughs> disney for trusting me and thank you tony baxter for believing in this crazy girl who uh probably wasn't as polite as she could have been um and given me the chance to do such a lovely thing. If you have a dream that you want to do, realize it may not be handed to you on a silver platter. You may have to fight for it, Mm -hmm. but aren't you worth it? If you want us to look at it as as a potential person to hire, say, and say it on these social media, I'm showing you this because my dream is to be an Imagineer. And as an Imagineer, I want to do and fill in that blank. Mm -hmm. So if I had it to do over, I'm Terry Harden. Here's my array of sculptures, costumes, performances, scripts, this, this, and this. And I want to be an Imagineer who designs attractions. Mm -hmm. And you do that over and over and over again, because Disney is watching. And isn't it better for Disney to come knocking at your door saying we want to hire you instead of you playing something, please, sir, may have a job, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So share your dream with as many people as you possibly can, no matter who you are, because you never know which one is a genie. You don't know someone who can help you go further only because they just want you to be able to have a leg up because someone looked at them and did the same thing. Mm -hmm. If it hadn't been for so many people looking at this really weird and crazy little girl and young person and now woman and going, man, she's really a wacko, but I really want to help her go here because I like, I like what she, you know, how generous she is. So be as generous as you can and, and help as many people as you can and, and uh, go back and forth. I think it's going to be, you'll, you'll, you'll do great. Can you tell my listeners uh, where they can go and hear and see more from you? I have a website, terryharden.com, T-E-R-R-I-H-A-R-D-I-N.com. And then you can click on online store and see what I have for sale. You can learn about pumpkin sculpting because I've been a pumpkin judge for Outrageous Pumpkins on the Food Network since 2005 because I teach people how to sculpt pumpkins. Mm -hmm. If that's something you're inclined to, you can find that out. I also do live broadcasts on YouTube, so you can Google Terry Harden and find my my channel. I have a new pumpkin book out that I've collaborated with my best friend. She wrote it. I illustrated illustrated it. You can see that on my website under new book. Basically, the website is a great launch point 
but Google is a great help if you don't remember how to spell Terry Harden, you know. And then look for a crazy girl with blonde dreadlocks. You'll know you're right there. Thank you so much for coming to speak to us today. And you might be hearing more from Terry in on this show in the very near future. So uh, just keep your ears peeled, ears open uh, for Halloween. <laughs> and thank you so much for having me. I'm so proud of you and this podcast. It's lovely. Thank you. <laughs> that means so much, Terry. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. You can hear more from Terry on her social media and website. I'll provide a link in the show notes. If you want to suggest or submit a short story or a subject that you'd like us to cover, then contact us through our Facebook page or Twitter and subscribe if you would like to hear more. This has been a Yorick Radio production. <laughs>